welcome to Recruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. And today we have another legend of a guest. It is Florian Daggery, Mr. 10 Minutes. Um, we're going to be talking today with Florian specifically about free diving and one of his world records. More importantly, there's a certain subject we're going to touch on. I cannot tell you that now. And we got to be really careful with the YouTube algorithms. Um, who are we? We're Fruiting Body Podcast. That is a medicinal mushroom company. There's some bottles on the table. Product will be launching within the next 30 days or so. We're doing Lion's Mane, Reishi, Cordyceps, all that fun stuff. Not the psychedelics yet. Um, now, the main topic, this main topic is we're going to discuss why is he Mr. 10 Minutes? What it takes to hold your breath for 10 minutes and how does he do that? So let's get this started. Without further ado, await, subscribe, like, smash that bell. We'll wait for you. We got all day. Did you do it? Okay. Subscribed. We're going to get this started with Florian and let's go. Awesome intro, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I try to just roll with the punches. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, Florian. Welcome. Um, I know it's a bit of a hike coming down from Rawai, especially when half the islands collapse, so... It was it was a nice road. And we were talking before you took the you took the highway. Yeah. Um, but still, now oh, I mean I'm sure. What is today's date? Probably. I asked another friend. They said they fixed the road already, the beach road. They fixed the beach yeah. road. Yeah. It just looks a bit intimidating because I mean, right here we're at Surin, yeah. and if you go to Camelot, like it's still kind of hanging on a thread. There's like you can see a boulder up there hanging out of the mountain. Oh, yeah. So it's it's just like. When is that going to give way? Um, yeah, it's... Anyways, that's not the... We're not here for doom and gloom. Um, the roads are mostly good. In yeah. Phuket compared to the average Thailand roads. For yeah. sure. And I think, you know, they're, they're putting that money in the infrastructure. Yeah, Thank you, Phuket government. Keep doing you. what you're doing. And uh, we love uh, we love you. Um, we're going to... Let's... On the Fruiting Body podcast, we always come back to the journey and, and where is Florian for, from? And tell us that story which kind of connects you into free diving and bringing you to Thailand and to the island of Koh Tao. So let's go back to a young Florian back in France. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm 35 years old. I was born in Paris. Um, no, no near the water. Um, then I study optical. So I was an uh, optician. Optician is uh, like the level below optometrist. And then uh, at 21, 22, I uh, started to live the typical expat life. Mm -hmm. uh, so at first it was supposed to be like a, a year holiday. Mm -hmm. I went to Australia, you know, with this like a working holiday yep. visa, this famous uh, working holiday visa. And, uh, and then I ended up staying three years there working as an optician. Then a friend took me to Thailand in a holiday, which was supposed to be two weeks, I think, initially. Uh, to learn diving, scuba diving. Uh, my interest was party, like, like a lot of people who what come year, to Thailand. What year, like that? That the, was like the year 2012. between 2012. So you're in Australia, 2012. You're yeah. kind of coming over here for a holiday. Oh, no, sorry. It was 2010. You know, just bring that mic. You see how it's there? Yeah. What you want to do is kind of bring it over so that it's so that you're not so like that and you're more like that. It, like, like yeah, So because you'll be like that and that will... Because sometimes, you watch these mics, and this is for anyone that wants to learn about. We'll get back to the story. See how directional they are as you come and go? Yeah, it's you crazy. Have to speak in the direction of the mic. Yeah, right? and put it down just a bit. There you go. And what I usually do is just tilt it uh, a little bit like that. And the reason we do that is so that when you're, the P's don't, just like that, see it goes away a bit. Is it better now? Good to go. Okay. And don't worry, I'll direct you as we go. And that's, that's the beauty of podcasts. It's like, we're not a show. We yeah. just go. Okay, so 2012, yeah. you've come over for kind of a little getaway from Australia, right. uh, but you're focused on the party, so continue from there. Yeah, so I uh, tried diving at the same time as, uh, as partying, scuba diving, and then I liked it um, bit per bit more and more. So the holiday extended to um, two, three months. Then after two, three months, I decided to quit my job just from Thailand as like, I'm not going back to Australia. I asked my friends to ship everything, all my belongings to, to Thailand and to France. And then I started to tech dive. I don't know if you know what tech dive is, technical diving. Technical, like? It's, it's like scuba diving but with more tanks to, go, to ah, go deeper. Okay. Yeah, so I was tech diving. In Thailand, you have deep lakes, 
uh, in Saratani, in Krabi, like 90 meters deep lake. And uh, I started to really love that activity. And then I had a small accident. Uh, I had an asthma attack on the water uh, because I have asthma since I'm, a, since I'm a child. And I didn't bring my inhaler or I ran out of inhaler during that trip. And then it's those lakes are in the middle of nowhere. There's no pharmacy close by. And when you scuba or free dive, they made you sign a waiver and a medical form uh, to check if you have any conditions that doesn't work very well with the diving activities. And asthma is uh, a no-go. So you have to, you have to kind of mm. yeah, lie a little bit. And uh, so I had to tell my instructors that uh, something is happening to me. We need to cancel the dive. They asked me why. I uh, wasn't sure what to tell them. And then I ended up telling them the truth. And then they just gave me like two weeks off uh, to think about if they will accept me or not. Again, like scuba diving. So I was a bit bored. I didn't want to go back to the party scene because, you know, you, you, get, you get tired of it quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started to free dive. Just a friend told me it was cool. Um, initially, my reaction was like, ah, this is like hippie stuff. I, d I don't want to do, I don't want to try. And then... He got me into it. I started to do a beginner course in this uh, school that, uh, that I own now. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it very much. And then bit per bit, I did another, another level and another level and then more training. And within a year, I was completely addicted to this. And the scuba diving went a bit down. Mm -hmm. So I started to scuba less and less and less. And, uh, and then the freediving took over until a year later. So that this brings us to 2013. The initial owner, the founder of the school where I was learning freediving. And wh where now were you doing in Saratini or is based in Kotao still? Uh, I was, the freediving was all based in Kotao. Okay. The school was in Kotao. Uh, the technical diving, because Kotao is 40 meter deep, 45 meter deep, the technical diving, you, you do trips to those deep lakes I mentioned. And yeah. uh, so I was doing the freediving in Kotao, and the founder had a split with his wife. He had a kid, so he wanted to sell the school. And um, I've been working a lot at the time in Australia, saved a bit of money, was lucky with casino, um, mm. casino play also. Online so poker or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, so I had some savings, and I was like, Okay, let's just uh, let me buy your school, and I just took over with like one year of experience in the sport. So the bit per bit, uh, I started educating myself because at the beginning I was letting all the staff do whatever they want. They had more experience than me; that was normal. And then, uh, as I started to gain more and more experience, I started to really take over the school. And eight years later, it was pretty successful, o over eight years open, eight, ten years open. So I was eight years in Kotao. Then from the sea event a few years ago, uh, we relocated in Bangkok to have uh, Thai customers. Mm. So altogether it was a 10-year journey. And we, uh, we did like 7,000 uh, free, uh, certified freedivers and almost 400 instructors who are now working around the world so is this the comp dive immer immersions uh, blue immersion blue immersion i, blue I have immersion, the word dive yeah. in my head yeah. blue immersions that's what i found um yeah you can find especially there's a lot of content on youtube i'll leave i'll leave that in the link blue immersions um so you can see more information on, on what you're doing there as well yep. especially with these long breath holds mm -hmm. um now I, i'm gonna get into understanding who florian is it seems like there's has to be this extremist side i mean you've kind mm -hmm. of already hinted on that you're doing these uh, long breath holds and i mean 70 meter dives and now the poker ties it all together um i mean i'm a poker player too so it's uh, I'm, I'm a gambling man uh, even with my life but before we do that uh, we're just going to do a quick shout out um so i i'm sure of our audience that's watching you're wondering who is our sponsor it's five star marine we were very hesitant to take on sponsors for a long time. Uh, I connected with Sean Stenning, and he's helping us do the production 
of this entire podcast, which allows us to now focus more on the mushroom business and what we're going to be doing for that. Um, so a big shout out to Five Star Marine. They're a VIP uh, speedboat um, tour company on the island. You can find them at, at on Instagram at Five Star Marine Phuket. We'll leave all those links in the description. Uh, Sean was on last week. If you want to check that episode out again with Sean, we're more focusing on those episodes. We're about like, really, how do you get around Phuket from island to island? It's a bit long winded. Um, we hope the audience enjoys this. This is not shilling. This is not plugging. We genuinely want to cooperate with five star. We love what they're doing on the island. They did a lot of life bags and helping out during that situation. And obviously with the floods in Phuket, um, we're not going to be doing commercials. I'm, I'll cut in and I'm already talking long enough. So go check them out. They're helping us out by you helping them out. It, it comes all for full circle. So back to the podcast. Um, that question for in as a kid, um, I mean, free diving is, is very, it's a very, if not one of the most extreme sports in the world, because, well, literally you can, you can die. There's no question about that. This extremist personality trait within yourself, did that only come out, you know, when you discovered free diving or as a kid, were you involved in anything else as well? Oh, <clears throat> I always been a all or nothing kind of guy. So in other sports, I was trying to compete as well. I've done a lot of uh, racket sports, like badminton, table tennis, and then a bit of martial arts as well, like taekwondo and uh, Muay Thai boxing. Mm. So I always try to push boundaries when I do sports. If I don't try to compete and then like beat myself again and again and again, then I sort of uh, give up on the activity. Yeah, I mean, we say that this podcast, it's not a psychology session as we're not here, but mm. it's, it seems with that and that connection, it's a lot of individual sports. So at the end of the day, you're only fighting yourself. You are. Yeah. Yeah. I would disagree with the fact that freediving is an extreme sport though. Oh. Um, what I do or what other competitors do, if you want to compete in the various disciplines that this sport has, it will become extreme and uh, slightly dangerous for sure. Um, as you said, lots of people have died doing freediving. But if you do it as a recreational sport, it's extremely safe. Same as scuba. Yeah. If you do like technical diving, it becomes very dangerous. Uh, or commercial diving, the people who do like welding on the waters, like super deep with the scaffold. 300 meters. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. And so it becomes dangerous when you at the top of the activity. What's the line in the sand, we would say, like within that community, um, for example, like I, I have my eye at level two, so I went down to 20 meters. And to be honest, that was enough for me. Um, when it, when does it start to turn extreme? Like, could you say like after 40 meters now it's getting a bit dangerous? Yeah, or? I would say that after 40 meters, it starts to be a competitor's, uh, competing level. And uh, for breast hold, breast hold is very safe. Like the, the, the discipline I'm specializing in. It's uh, in your pool or on your couch, holding your breath as long as you can. So it's more like the meditation part of freediving. And there's very, very little risk involved. But diving as deep as you can, those disciplines are, of course, a lot more dangerous. And it does become a team sport at that level. I mean, you got to do your safety protocols. If you're going down to 40, someone's going to 20 um, in case you can black out as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have any... Um, sorry... I wanted to ask the question more when you're doing a breath hold, let's say static breath hold in a pool. Do you have a partner there in case you do blackout? Yeah. Or if you, if you were to blackout during a static in a pool, is that very dangerous? No. Mm. So when you hold your breath in the water, any disciplines, you're always going to have safety in case you pass out, they will just slap your face and then wake you up. So there's absolutely no risk. And if you do it dry outside of the water, you would wake up instantly and you wouldn't even know you blacked out before you check your watch and then the time's wrong. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't... Well, you need a partner in a, in a pool. Like in the pool, always. anything in the water. Okay. Yeah, you can't do it alone. I mean, you can do small breast holds, you know, by yourself, but like nothing. You can't push your limits. You can't try yeah. to improve your max breast hold in the water, but you can do few laps without any danger. Yeah, I found it really pushes yourself to the limits and you kind of, uh, especially when I was doing it, you get those convulsions and you learn to fight through them. It's, it's, a, it's an art, essentially. And it's for me, it's like I hit a certain limit. I'm like, okay, that's good enough. Like I said, the 20 meters, 
And then I'm like, you know what? That five ten meter, that's where that's my comfort range. And like we were talking about, there's not much to see past that anyways. No, there's there's after twenty, twenty five meters, you know, there's there's no more colors in in most of the most places and there's no more marine life to check out. So to explore the ocean you really need to to know how to free dive to like 10, 20 meters and you'll have tons of fun already. Yeah, after that you're kind of just in a competition with, you know, yourself yeah. and how what are your your limits as well. Um as you were learning free diving and I'm sure everyone in this industry and in this community can tell that story. What were those milestones if you want to walk us through that the day you hit 20, the day you hit 40 and finally when you hit 70? Um, the preparation, the feeling, and, and just that's an open question of walk us through when you first hit those crazy milestones. Um, I would say the first was 40 meters, and I think it's uh, true for most of the freedivers um, because you're reaching the what we call the residual volume of your lungs. So your lungs will not get so much smaller after 40 meter, uh, and it's becoming very hard to equalize your ears and sinuses from that point. So this is like a big wall. And then after I would say 60, then 80. So I correct you, I've been to 90. Okay. Um, and 80 was a big, uh, how do you say, milestone? Milestone. Milestone, yeah. yeah. So 80 meters for me was very hard uh, to adapt the pressure. So your lungs get you know pretty compressed your sternum start to like s being sucked in and then you really need to have a high flexibility to accept that pressure without injuring yourself. So I would say 40, 60, 80 was like the big milestone. And in terms of breast hold, I would say every minute, your first one minute, your first two minutes, mm. et cetera, all the way to 10. This is just psychological effect. Every time you're breaking the minute, the minute, the minute, there is a bit of a fear mm. uh, or anxiety. And well, what's for that process, let's say, okay, you, you hit 40. I can only speak for my 20, but let's say when you're going for 80, um, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going for 80. There has to be some, I'm assuming some sort of preparation as well. And how many times did you fail before you hit it? Like, you know, maybe failing at 72, 75. Can you talk about that experience specifically on that dive to even your max 90? Yeah. So my worst experience was uh, in Egypt, I think it was 2014. I progressed in depth before doing so much static breast hold. I was trying to dive as deep as I can. So I was not specializing in the pool disciplines, but more in the depth disciplines. And at 80 meter, 85 meter, I had a proper blackout, like uh, so deep, I, I barely reached the safety, which you said they, they wait for you between 20, 25 meter. It, it depends how deep you go. They go between 20 meters and 40 meters, uh, depending on how the um, athlete, how deep is going. And I was going to 85, it was in Egypt in the Dahab Blue Hole, famous place to free dive. And um, I squeezed the, the lungs, so my, I wasn't adapted to pressure enough and I wasn't wise enough to, to stop the dive, turn around because I feel too much pressure on the chest. So I just ignore sensations, just, you know, like I really wanted to go 90, 90, 90. And, uh, and then the pressure just injured my lungs a little bit. Your lungs are bleeding slightly and the oxygen diffusion start to get low, very low. So in that case, if you injure your lungs during a dive, uh, most likely you're gonna black out before the surface. And it's not like a hypoxic blackout where you're running out of oxygen. In that case, hypoxic blackout, you're just always gonna reach the surface and you're gonna pass out on the surface. So it's very easy to safety someone who run out of oxygen. But someone who get injured from pressure, as I said, the lungs are bleeding, and then you're gonna black out in the last 30 meters. And so I black out around 25, and, um, um, and then the safety was waiting for me at 20. So they're waiting, waiting, they saw me blacking out, Luckily for me, the guy was strong, the safety diver. He turned around and then 
uh, reached for me, brought me back to the surface, and then shortly after I woke up. And that was like the, my, my um, stop point for depth discipline. After that, I just maintained the same performances every, every year between 80 and 90, but uh, I just don't want to go deeper anymore mm. for, for that. P- did, fr- you, did you get to the 90 and turn around at that point, or did you stop at 85, you said? That was an 85 attempt. Okay. I, I got to 90 a few years later. Okay. Yeah. So that was an 85 attempt, and then uh, I went all the way down. Unfortunately, I should have stopped like probably 10 meters earlier because that's where I was starting to feel my sternum being pushed. And uh, I did not. You know, visibility is very clear over there. Uh, I was seeing the end of the line. I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going. And uh, that was just, you know, not wise. Mm. And uh, it kind of stopped the whole deep diving career. And then after that, I just got more into breast hold. And instead of trying to go deeper and deeper, I use my breast hold to dive longer. So my kick now in free diving is not like how deep I go. It's more like how long I stay. So mm-hmm. I, I dive pretty shallow f- for my standards. Might be deep but for some people. Five, f- 10 or? No, no, like uh, 20 to 50 meters. But then I try to stay like, four plus minutes, you know, down there. Like there's a beautiful wreck that I love here in Phuket in the Racha Island. It's 20 meter deep. And I try to like really stay down there. It just, I'm trying to feel like a, a marine mammal. So, you know, this is like mm. the kick I have. Even when I train in the pool, I'm not trying to do as many laps as I can on the water. I usually do no more than 100 meter in the pool. I do it as slow as I can mm-hmm. to feel like, to confuse myself with a marine mammal. Mm. Yeah, I want to talk about that one sec. I drank too much coffee and water. A quick bathroom break. Um, we're going to talk. I want to get more into like the technique and we'll talk about the difference in these. Uh, I, I guess, I don't know if the word would be protocols or pro or like techniques, I guess, f- between Wyckoff and uh, Molchanov. Yeah. Did I, I got that one right? Yeah. And Ida. Wim Hof. Uh, wi- sorry, Wim Hof Wyckoff is a Wyckoff yeah. is a trading method that I use. Never mind. Yeah. Um, uh, Wim Hof and Ida and Molchanov. So, quick bathroom break. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. And yeah. uh, all right, we're back. Um, so now we're going to be talking more on the techniques, and we'll get into things like the, the Ida. I guess it would be technique or protocol. Um, Molchanov and uh, uh, Wim Hof. Um, before we dive into like the difference between them all. Oh, and a quick thing. Thanks a lot to Tony Mishalayev, Tones of Blue. He was on, I don't know the episode. We'll call it 22, I'm guessing. Uh, he connected us together. Um, oh, because they are doing a workshop. So let's let's talk about that quick now. Um, I saw Tony do the post that you guys are doing a workshop in Phuket. I believe it's, is it November 17th or 19th? 19th, yeah. On 19th. Uh, explain that a little bit to the audience and... Um, they will probably be seeing this on the Monday, which is just about four or five days away. So anyone that's looking to maybe get involved in that, um, take it away and just let us know a little bit about it, how they can reach you and what you guys are doing. So you can reach us directly on uh, Instagram, Tons of Blue for Tony or Mr. 10 Minutes for me. This event is just going to be like a, a free diving course. All levels are welcome. So if you a competitor, advanced, or beginner. We'll do just groups. And um, uh, we'll have uh, pictures and videos. Uh, so half of the course will be about improving your skills or just learning skills if you never freedive before. And the other half will be to just take pretty pictures and uh, videos during fun dives. Where will you be starting and doing some basic technique in a pool or where are you guys going to be going? Yeah, so we're going to run as a classic course. Most of the most of the freediving events are run the same way with the same structure. You're always going to learn to hold your breath like laying down on a couch or on a sofa. Uh, then you're going to learn to equalize your ears. Uh, then you're going to do a bit of swimming laps swimming from one side of the pool to the other and then after uh, we'll take you to the ocean at first we just follow a line a vertical line to see how deep you can go meter per meter diving deeper as your confidence go up you'll dive 
deeper and deeper. At Kata, the, that rock off Kata, there's a, sometimes they drop a line there. Um, I don't know. I, I yeah. will go to Racha. I always, I always teach in Racha. Yeah. It's just my favorite place to go for visibility. And, uh, and then once the training on the line is done, we'll uh, go over a reef or over a wreck, have fun, um, finally find out how long you can stay at a shallow depth, how comfortable you are. The whole goal, if you never free dive, is sort of making you an expert snorkeler. That's like the goal of a first freediving course. And if you already have some skills, the goal will be to uh, boost whatever skills you have. Are you, so when I did my Ida, same thing, three-day course, um, by the end of it, are you pushing them to that 20-meter spot? Um, depends on uh, the comfort of each person. So I wouldn't say I push students to dive to the end of the line. Uh, we're trying to make them do the minimum requirements at least to get a certificate so that they can go to clubs and uh, and uh, other schools. Uh, without certificate, you just... What what certificate would that be? Like um, uh, Molchanoff? Yeah, this yeah. Level, wh how <coughs> would that... Is it a level one? Is yeah. that the terminology? Yeah, there's, there's, they call waves. Okay. Wave one, wave two, wave three, wave four, and then instructor course. Okay, so that, that's a perfect segue into what we were going to talk about uh, before I went to the bathroom. Um, can you explain the difference between Ida, Molchanoff, and Wim Hof? And um, if people are deciding to do one than the other, maybe some of the pros and cons and all those differences and mm -hmm. just, have, uh, just take it away with that. You're the, you're the expert and explain it all to us. Right, so there's different education systems, same as other sports. Um, they are pretty much the same. So if you do a NIDA course, a motion of course, or other education system, you will learn similar, similar techniques, similar um, theory. Uh, the, the difference will be the instructor. You, know? you need to find an instructor that makes you comfortable because uh, you need to be very confident to perform well and to learn this sport well. So the connection between instructor and students is like the number one thing you need to research. Um, after the education system, they're slightly different. So Molchanov, for example, is uh, quite serious with the knowledge. So it will please people who are a little bit like a science junkie. So they really explain you why those techniques works and what they do physiologically to your body. And the other education systems are a little bit more basic. So they will just train you to do a certain skill, but not really explain you why this is working and what's happening inside your, your so body. So the, the top free divers, would you say they're going through Molchanov? Mm. Is, is there a competition between these two schools of thought or are they all kind of like in the community they get along together or do they have their little YouTube forum arguments? I would say that uh, Paddy and SSI are in a bit of a war. With but that's scuba. No, that's freedive as well. Paddy. They do both. Yeah, they ah, do both. I didn't know Paddy did freedive. Yeah, okay. they, they do. It's recent, like three, four years they started doing this. So I would say that Paddy is like the most basic education system along with SSI. They are more made for people who are in holiday. They want to learn freediving without going through technical theory classes and all this. And then the other education systems like Ida and Molchanov are more like passionate um, educators that will really explain you physiologically why this is working, why this is not. And you mentioned Wim Hof. So Wim Hof is not an education system. Wim Hof is, um, let's, let's call it a, a celebrity, yeah, who developed a method not to hold the breath, but to tolerate cold water. And funny enough, the technique that they use to tolerate cold water is a bit similar to freediving technique in a way. Well, there's a hyperventilation aspect to it, right? Yeah, which we, which we don't really use in freediving. Right. But the whole point of hyperventilation is that you vasoconstrict areas in your body, like your brain and then your limbs. So when I say vasoconstricts, it means that your vein and arterias will shrink and there will be less blood going at it. 
and this will decrease the sensitivity of your limbs and then it will make you dizzy. Your, your brain will have less blood. This is called cerebral vasoconstriction. And because your brain has less blood than your limbs also, uh, you are becoming less sensitive to the pain that cold water usually uh, gets you. And then you need to learn to control your breathing. Usually when you go in very cold water, your breathing rate start to increase. And this is a similar part as freediving. In freedive, you learn how to control your inhales and exhales. And with the Wim Hof method, you're also going to learn that thing. But the, the over-breathing, hyperventilation breathing isn't used in freediving. Yeah, I, I've... I remember the first I first I did scuba diving and I was in in PP and our diving instructor at that time he's like yeah I do free diving and this is way before I took Ida level Ida level two and he's like all right so I'm gonna I know how to free dive I'm gonna teach you and we took off the gear and we went in and immediately he started hyperventilating so that's what we thought and then mm. after I took the course the first thing they say is do not hyperventilate so whoever that guy was in PP you're a lunatic. <laughs> and and stop teaching people if you've never taken a course how to free dive. Yes. So basically, hyperventilation, you just get rid of CO2 uh, by just exhaling at a fast rate again and again and again. And CO2 is what triggers your mammalian reflex. So the mammalian reflex is what turns humans into marine mammals. So you want to actually boost that reflex and not get rid of it. So it's just a sh very big shortcut to performance. Uh, and it's quite dangerous because your heart rate will be very fast after hyperventilating. And so you will feel great, but your oxygen consumption goes very, very quickly. Mm. So it's, it's a pretty dangerous technique. And freediving, we do the complete opposite. We try to breathe quite slowly, deeply but slowly, and we don't really purge that CO2 out. We're trying to get immune to higher amount of CO2. This is the whole point of freediving. When you, when you do courses, we teach you that over the weeks, over the months, over the years, you need to make yourself less sensitive to carbon dioxide. And that has huge effect also in other sports, like running or any sort of cardiovascular sports. A freediver who has like very good performances, will have a tolerance to carbon dioxide very elevated. So when he's doing a, a long run, he can breathe a lot shallower. His endurance, his aerobic and anaerobic abilities will be like a lot greater. So when you're training for um, longer time underwater at shallow dives compared to you going for that 10, now it was 10 minute and 30 second breath hold. Yeah. Is there a different technique you're using for these two different, uh, uh, I, I guess, methods? Like whether, again, whether you're doing a, a static shallow, a static breath hold or a, or a dynamic shallow dive. Same technique or they're different or how do you prepare differently? Um, it's, it's similar. So the CO2 tolerance, as I explained, is the number one thing for every discipline of freediving. Having a big breast hold is kind of the, the base of all discipline. So when you can hold your breast for, you know, six, seven minutes, it's not going to be hard to stay on the water for half of that time. And if you can stay on the water for half of that time, then you can probably go quite deep. Um, so static apnea is really like the ground floor, the easiest discipline. This is why we usually start every freediving course with that, with like, let's learn how to hold the breath. Then we'll go do some laps in the pool and learn to equalize. Then we'll go to the open water. Uh, after there is different method of training, because to dive as deep as you can, you need to be extremely strong physically. So you need to lift a lot of weights. Uh, same for dynamic. You need to be very explosive um, because the stronger your muscles will be, the less oxygen you will use for swimming. If you're a little bit weak physically, you're going to use a lot more effort to swim, horizontally or vertically. And in static apnea, this is where the path um, separate. We don't need to swim. So we usually cut an extreme amount of weight. This is like a big, big difference. 
like I usually cut like 12, 13 kilos when I do. When uh, you're going for something. When I'm pushing. going for 10 minutes, yeah, I usually cut. And that's so you're, uh, you're not, you don't need to produce as much oxygen to the, the body's parts that would need that requ requirements while you're, yeah. while you're holding. And, yeah. and especially I'm assuming there's certain parts that want to shut down like your organs are, that are, are as well that would be, you know, starving for oxygen. Yeah, all the organs need to be fed pretty well with oxygen, but the limbs, so your legs and arms, can get like constricted and they can go anaerobic. You give yeah. them as less as less oxygen as possible. And, and your f body fat percentage, I'm assuming, does it need to be extremely low, also because of the weight cut? But does that affect the diving as well? Because obviously, as we know, fat floats. Yes. So you want to be quite lean when you free dive, all disciplines. Um, and then for the static apnea discipline, you can really be physically weak. So right now I'm going for a 10 minute training by the end of the year, 10 minute performance. So I already cut like almost 10 kilo in the past six weeks. Uh, and my body fat percentage is quite low. Like I'm, I don't know if you cold or not cold here, but I'm already like oh, really? a little bit like, Oh, shaky okay. because I have like no fat. Yeah, well, I have the opposite of no fat. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm okay. I try my best. I yeah. um, so you would be very good at depth discipline because yeah. of your strength. Very good at floating. Yeah, and probably the static apnea discipline will not be that comfortable for you uh, in the state that you're in mm -hmm. because you probably need to be too bulky yep. to hold your breast for a very long time. So. We usually start all to train all disciplines at first. And then if you decide to compete, you're going to have to choose a little bit because each discipline requires different body types. Yeah. yeah. When characters are born, we got guys like on the Shark Tank. I don't know if you're Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. Uh, are you familiar with this guy? Well, a lot of the times these nicknames, they kind of, they're born out of nowhere in the stories. I mean, it's, I guess the... Uh, oh, I, I can't say that story. There's one on the movie Django when they're talking about Leo, Leo has a little speech. We'll, we'll maybe turn that into a reel. Anyways, back to the point is a lot of these nicknames are born out of nowhere. Um, explain the birth of Mr. 10 Minutes. So um, a few years ago when the sea event happened, I relocated my school in Bangkok to teach mostly Thai students to free dive. And uh, because the borders were closed. And uh, they all call me Mr. 10 Minutes. And uh, so I thought he was like a great, catchy name. So I just started to change my name on social media to that. Is this pre or post you did the breath hold at 10.30? Oh, it was definitely after. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was like, there were, yeah, Mr. 10, but I yeah. haven't done it yet. I think, no, 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 it was after. And I think they were saying this because I did this 10 minute thing quite a few times. Uh, now I do it much, much less, obviously. But uh, usually people who specialize in static apnea and the few athletes who actually have broke that 10 minute uh, bar here, they do it once every two, three years because of the hard weight cut. And uh, I was a little bit crazy when I reached it and I was doing twice a year. So I was like, my weight was going yo-yo a lot, yeah. like plus 10, minus 10 twice a year. I did this for two years, and then after I downgraded to one one time per year. How did you decide you were going to go after that? The first time you tried to break 10 minutes, what was the process? Uh, I took three months holiday. I trained seven, seven months for this. Uh, I was at solely nine. I was doing nine for two years. And uh, I learned new techniques. I had like uh, coaches for the first time cardiologist, dietitian, dietitian, yes. yep. yeah, dietitian. Um, so I learned new things, new supplements, new cardiovascular uh, preparation, um, and how to increase lung size. So because I have asthma, my lung size always been a huge problem. Uh, like my vital capacity can change from one liter up and down, depending if uh, something is like triggering the sensitivity of my lungs. And I started to deal with that better and better. So in 2019, this is the first time I broke 10. I increased my lung size by a liter plus, a liter and a half plus. And obviously, you know, when you have 
bigger lungs, you can hold your breath a lot longer. And also fasting, so I was cutting a lot of uh, more weights. So before, when I was doing nine minutes, I wasn't cutting that much weight, just like five, five kg. And then I cut 10 for the first time in 2019. Uh, before that, my ego, I always wanted to be like fit, good looking. And then I minus five was as far as my ego wanted to accept. Then, you know, I got a bit older and then, uh, and then I uh, didn't care that much. Then I dropped, I started to drop a lot more weight. So more lungs capacity, less weight. Straight away, the breast hold went from nine to ten and a half. Nine, nine seventeen, well, nine twenty, can't remember, to like ten and a half. I did ten and a half like a week before the ten. ten how does that, is it, um, is there like a governing body where you need to go talk to the Molchanoff, you know, committee and then they're timing you? Or I saw that on your Instagram. Now you're showing you, you have the second longest breath hold. Um, how does that work exactly to be able to get, you know, recognized, ranked instead of, you know, me, some guy on the couch that just holds my breath and tells you I beat the record today or something? So <clears throat> same as uh, a lot of sports, you have education company, which we just talked about, who is Molchanoff, Ida and, and so on. And you also have competition companies who are um, organizing events such as IDA. IDA is an education company, but it's also a competition company. And you have another one called CMAS, CMAS or CMAS, depending where you're from, you pronounce it differently. Um, and some other ones that are probably forgot right now and they do this like competition it's once a year and everyone comes into it around the world yeah and and uh, instead of doing free diving courses they educate judges so you have judge courses to become anyone can become a judge and then you have like different levels of judge same as you have different levels of uh, free divers yeah so they educate people all around the world to judge competitive free diving competitions and then there is events everywhere in the world, small event, bigger event, and uh, whenever you want, you can participate. And when when did you break this re this record? Or I mean, you, you rank quite high in that as well. Was this how many years ago? So it was two twenty, I think. Two thousand twenty. Yeah. And but you said there is there are people that have uh, like a longer breath hold. Like, uh, what's that time, and what differentiates them? How do you get to that next level? Uh, so in static apnea, there's no next level. I think you're thinking about another discipline which is more for show, but it's not a real official freediving discipline. It's pure oxygen static apnea. Mm. So instead of just breathing air, which is 21% oxygenated, you're going to breathe through a tank 100% oxygenated air, so f five times more oxygen. <laughs> And for that reason, you can hold your breath a lot longer. Like the word you're record like is like 25, You're like prepping minutes. the body before you go for it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So it's more for a show. Usually people who does this, they do this for like Guinness Book or like sp other sponsors. Um, and sometimes it's true that uh, it confuses people who are not in the freediving scene. But it's, yeah, it's two different things. Uh, sorry, the name of um, that is what? Pure, pure oxygen. Pure so that's when these guys yeah. are getting 21 minutes. Yeah, I okay. think the world record is 24 now. That's I, crazy. I could probably beat that easy. That's, yeah. yeah. But it's it's still not, uh, it's not organic. It's not real. It's oh. for sure, yeah. It's for so sure. now yours, when you're doing static apnea and you're going for these long breath holds, now is that like, are you submerged underwater and you're holding on like you would be, be doing any type of? I'm just floating. Correct. Floating on the surface. And the who is the world record holder and what is their time is another french guy um he did this in 2009 um the record was prob probably eight something or shallow nine and he put it at 11 minutes and 35 seconds what's his name stefan mifsud okay and uh he he stopped competing right after yeah oh, okay so pr pretty much like not, let's not say to boost your ego, but I mean, at this level, like, are you kind of leading in the industry for that breath hold? Him? Yourself. 
but well, I'm just uh, just below him, but yeah. it's like but he's, far below him. But he's <laughs> but he's not competing anymore. No, right. No. So there is there is a world champion every year, and then there is a world record. Yes. You know? So same as uh, in uh, running, for example. Uh, and then, so every year you're going to have new world champions in every discipline. Usually the, 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 the times or the distances increase by a few meters or a few seconds every year. And then you have the absolute record that the human being has done, which is done by this other mm. French guy, Stefan. Do you think that's something obtainable, especially like um, maybe a younger athlete or even someone like yourself now, is there a certain, is there like an age threshold where it does become more difficult to reach that, that world record? No. So I, th I think freediving, you can do this for quite a long time. Um, there's been, there's been few world record held holders who were 50 plus. I'm thinking about, for example, Natalia Molchanova, which is the woman who created the education system Molchanovs. Mm -hmm. Uh, she was world record pretty much in every disciplines, not simultaneously, but, you know, mm -hmm. one year after another. She pretty much did every world record, and she was 50, 55, 50, 50 to 55. And uh, she was not the only one. There were, like, guy, there were men and women before and after her who were, you know, senior age, let's call it that way, and just smashing the young boys and girls, like, easy so it's it's a mental sport it's very much like yoga or i would call this underwater meditation if i had to give a second name to free diving but also training the the body has to um reach those levels especially in terms of your lung capacity and you can't do that in a year it takes six years like for example bodybuilders yeah. some of the top i'm talking about olympic weight or sorry like world strongest men they don't reach the strong, world strong. They end up have to be like 30, 35 plus. There's no world strongest men reaching those goals at 20 because it, you, it takes so many years to even get there. Well, in freediving, I think, I don't know the reason, but I would say it's fairly young sport. Um, there is people who reach the top of the competition game within two years, mm. which is crazy. Like there, there is this guy who did a world record Peter, his name, his name is Peter. Uh, he just did 132 meters, the current uh, deepest dive in the self-propulse discipline. So no, no machines like you see in the big blue. Uh, and he did 132, and I think he started to free dive two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. But they're they're putting on they add weights to the body to be able to because once you pass that, what's zero buoyancy like 10, 15 meter? Depends your body fat percentage and the density of your bones. But yeah, for most people, it will be uh, around 10 to 15 meters. And that's just, people need, that's why you're explaining you need to be so strong because when you come back up, you're fighting the buoyancy. Like you're literally, it's like you're, it's, it's a, it's a assisted pull up essentially. Yeah. The weights are not there to help. The, the weights are compensating the buoyancy from the suit. Mm. And the weights that you take down, you're going to, you're going to lift them back up. You, br you bring them back up. Yeah, you bring them back up. Why can't so you drop them? Or it's just... Uh, because it's, 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 not, it's not fair. You know, otherwise, otherwise you take the machine, you go down with the machine, and then you inflate a balloon, and then you go up with the balloon. Oh, okay, okay. You know, but there is uh, disciplines where you swim with bifins, with monofin, with no fins, and whatever weight you take to help you going down, you're going to have to bring them back up. So there's no weight change. And the weights are not there to help you going down. It, they're just there to cancel out the positive buoyancy that the wetsuits gives us. Mm. So like uh, wetsuits are be buoyant, it makes us float, and we cancel that out with one or two kilos of weight. Okay, now I understand. Because I was watching your, your video, um, and I noted, yeah, you didn't have any uh, fins on at all. And, and you're basically very controlled, which means I understand you're controlling your heart rate, your breathing. Um, see, I saw you, I think it was the one, there's a video on YouTube, you hit 70 meter and like when you hit, like I would just panic and freak out and start trying to come up as quick as I can, but you're very controlled and calm and mm. uh, it's it interesting to watch. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's going to bring us to our hot topic. Uh, maybe you've been waiting the whole podcast for this one. We've already had our discussion on how we're going to talk about this. Um, I'll let you start with it. Uh, recently, 
uh, with the situation and the stuff that people have taken throughout that situation. It has greatly affected you as a professional athlete. Um, can you explain to us what it is you have exactly and how has that affected you? So, yeah, last year um, I got uh, myocarditis, which is your heart getting a bit bigger uh, because of an inflammation of the muscles of the heart. And then uh, I got something also called peripheral regurgitation. This is like the valves of your heart who are leaking a bit of blood. And uh, it was obviously due to the pins we most of us took. And um, it started right after, like the next day or even on the same day. And uh, I went to doctors. At first, they were just telling me, just wait, not, don't panic. Everything will pass. It's like common side effects. And for me, it just, it just got worse and worse and worse. What was the feeling? Um, the, the heart pounding. So, like, I was just, my resting heart rate is normally below 50. Like, it's 43 now. And um, it was over 100, slightly over 100 all the time, even in a very cold room, sit watching a movie. Um, so something was definitely wrong. And then I had cramps, like chest cramp, exactly like a, uh, like a like cramp like on, your, on your calves. Yeah, like a pain, like a pain cramp. Yeah, yeah like okay. And so this was like making me panic because I, I, just, thought, I just thought I had like a, a heart attack or something. And, uh, you know, there's no reason for me at this age. And but it, now this pain, this chest pain, it's the heart or the lung? It's the heart because you said it's... It's the heart. It's the heart. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so after a few weeks, I went, I went to see other cardiologists and then they just diagnosed me uh, with this myocarditis. Mm -hmm. And for what, three, five months after that, three months, I got treated with the classic... Uh, medical way so they just give you like on a lot of anti-inflammatory beta blockers to control your your heart rate um, arnica and, and a bunch of it there's a protocol myocarditis is not from a vaccination mm. myocarditis existed before it's a condition medical condition that exists um, you know previously and uh, it's just that it happens to people uh, who got pinned. Yeah. And uh, especially athletes, actually. And, um, and I followed the protocol, the classic medical protocol. And I realized after three, four months that they're just treat they're treating my symptoms only. So I was getting better. And as soon as I was off the pills, everything was coming back. And this is very much the same with my asthma or eczema, which are like uh, sens extreme sensitivity to lungs and skin. So I get easy rashes and e my lungs get easily inflamed. And uh, for this illness, they give you salbutamol or they give you corticosteroids. Yep. But not those are not helping you. Those are just treating the symptoms. They, they're just removing symptoms. But as soon as you're going to stop those drugs, they're going to um, everything is coming back. So when I realized they were not fixing my problem, but fixing my symptoms, I started to look at alternative in terms of medicine. And I got lucky to find out about stem cells treatment. And, um, and even more lucky that a clinic in, um, in Bangkok contacted me, one of the owner of the clinic, was a freediver. Can we share their name? Or? Yeah, it's called um, Cells La Vie. C'est La Vie. Oh, Cells La Vie. Yeah. So cells, cells. Cells, like yeah. -E -L -L but when you say quick, this yeah. is C'est La Vie. Got it. This uh, is the life in French. Yeah, yeah, this is the life in French. And they do stem cells treatments and among other things. And uh, one of the owner happened to be French. Uh, at first, I, I thought he was trying to sell me something. I was very like, careful and then I knew nothing about those treatments so I started to educate myself online and I thought it was pretty scary but you know I got curious and then 
that was the only alternative that thought was promising at the time. So I met the guy, uh, his name is Alex. He's now my manager for events and, uh, and sponsor. And then he, he believed he could fix me with stem cells and they did. How was that? Pro- and I know, I know, uh, certain jujitsu guys, uh, I won't name names, but, uh, they get injured, injured and they'll inject it in the shoulder. It's like uh, site location for injection. How would that work? Stem cells trying to fix the, your heart issue. How are they injecting it? What's the process? What's the protocol? So they take a bunch of blood out of you. Then they put it in a lab and then I don't know where they get the stem cells from. I know there's different different ways to create stem cells. Some, some are from embryo. Some, yeah. I don't remember where they get theirs, but they definitely make them. There's some clinic of stem cells that are buying them and then there's some who are so those guys have their own lab and they're making everything mm-hmm. and then they just uh, you know they do like a principle like a bio biopsy same as a biopsy thing they just inject inject this into your bloodstream okay and then it's already programmed in the lab to change into cardiac cells and uh, you feel like immediately better mm. i've done also something that was helping me a lot which is called NAD. NAD. Yeah. And this was like, wow. This is the youth elixir everyone's talking about. Yeah. Um, like, but you, wow. feel, you feel it a bit. Did you get itchy from it a little bit on NAD? No. No. They do a lot of NAD drips here. It's, um, there's a lot of information on the biohacking that this is the uh, youth uh, elixir that will reduce your age. Because essentially at the end of the day, the reason we age is because of oxygen. Mm-hmm. It's like an apple. Go leave an apple on your counter. Yeah, it's gonna. It's just when you're adding so much oxygen, this is what's. Yeah, I've, I've read an article a few months ago that says if you're breathing oxygen, pure oxygen, pressurized, so on underwater or in a chamber, with a bit of pressure, and you do this daily, it would also slow down your aging. Yeah, I don't know if. Well, that, it's a that's question of. I mean, for me, I'm like I'm good after after 75. The second a knee gives out, just fucking throw me out, throw me out to sea. I want to live as old <laughs> as I possibly can. You, you would you would uh, you live to 200 if you could? Yes, but please. I mean, you would have to be. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be decrepit. Is the word meaning you want to be able to walk around? I'll take anything. If we can roll you around, <laughs> I'll take anything. What is the reason for that? You want to see the future? You're yeah. curious? Yeah. What do you think the future will be like maybe in, say, let's keep it simple, 50 years? Um, I don't know, but there's, there's going to be some bad things. And then good things, uh, I want to see the, the good things. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, I'm super interested in longevity. I don't know if you know this guy, Sinclair. I yes. think he's from Norway. Or, or like one of those North European countries. Yep. I'll, I'm like a huge fan of him and uh, and what he's doing in his, I think he works with stem cells as well. And it's, it's the science is like going up in terms of yeah. l- longevity. And I think within the next 50 years, longevity of humankind will increase drastically. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's there now. I think it's, it's, but people don't know about it. And that's because it's like any new technology. It's too expensive. I'm sure there are billion, uh, billionaires out there and they can maybe grow a kidney in a lab and whatever. Mm-hmm. But the point is, it's not feasible. It's too expensive for the average person. But I guarantee you in 10, 15 years, you'll be able to, you know, grow a liver. And you have a liver problem, have a heart problem. We, you don't, it won't be so like, you know, having to do with transplants. And I think that that will be the biggest part of it. The part that does concern me the most will be the brain. And how do you keep that healthy? Because there's a certain point with dementia and Alzheimer's, like you can still like ALS, you know, this disease ALS is, they did that. um, uh, What was it? The water ice cold challenge where people are dumping buckets of ice on their Mm -hmm. head years ago. Do you remember that? That was for, to raise awareness for ALS. And basically what ALS is, I think it's Lou Gehrig's disease. It was a baseball player also called ALS. It's basically like all your motor functions go away. You'll be in a wheelchair. You can't do anything, but your mind is 100%. Better than, better than nothing. But I think the mind, that's why we're doing our, our lion's mane, not to shill or sell anything like that. That's the one reason I got behind lion's mane. Uh, it's been used in Asia for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
and there's a lot of Chinese papers on it. Obviously, there's none in the U.S. or Europe because you have to pay to write those papers. And, well, we know who funds universities, so therefore, why would I fund that paper? Mm. But there's a lot in Asia, and they've proven this pill, if you take like a gram of day of a good quality of that, you reduced Alzheimer's and dementia by 60%. Wow. So you tell me that... Uh, if I just take one of these per day for the rest of my life, I can reduce it by 60%, especially if it's in your family. Sure, why not? I mean, we're yeah. already taking vitamin Cs and stuff. So. Yeah. Give me some. My gran yeah. grandfather well, well, died of Alzheimer's. So. My, my grandfather died of Alzheimer's as well, and that's the reason I got behind it because it's better than a coin flip. If, if you said, even if, honestly, even if you said 15%, mm. if you give me 15% more chance, and I just need to take this thing, and I'm already taking my vitamin Bs and Cs and Omegas, well, well why not? Let's just toss it in the mix. Totally agree. Yeah. I, I take a, a few supplements as well, not for, uh, not for sports, just for longevity, for health. Um, yeah, but, uh, supplements, are, uh, they're very underrated, but you need to know. It's the how, we're probably at an hour, right? Okay, we're going to cut this off in a second. We're trying to keep these under an hour. I get so interested with the guests. That's why I like, I'm like, no, I can easily go another. But yeah. um, we, we are looking into this because I'm really big into the supplement side and staying away from not, not pharmaceutical, but corporate supplements. Mm -hmm. And these companies are the ones you'll see in the pharmacies here, like Blackmore's. Yeah. Anyway, they're not going to harm you, so why not try? Right. I think it's going to work differently on different people, same as diets. You know, we, we all grew up, if you, if you look at your ancestors like hundreds, thousands years ago, they probably have done different things, lived different, uh, in different places. Uh, some of them were hunters, some of them were food gatherers. And uh, for that reason, you probably, each person probably need to test a few different diets, a few different supplements, because depending on where they come from, genetically speaking, uh, things can work and things cannot work. So um, I like to like take supplements and diet with a bit of a grain of salt and then just try to find things that works for you. For you. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree. It's just like my ancestors would come from like Ireland, Scotland, England. So of course I can digest potatoes easily. Mm -hmm. Right. But maybe other things like if your ancestors came from Italy, like these breads and grains, like, yeah, then I become a fat ass if I eat that. But if I, if I stick to diets of potatoes, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Gluten, um, for example, I cannot, I cannot have gluten. Mm. Gluten is triggering um, asthma, all sort of inflammation for people who are sensitive like me who have asthma or eczema. If I have gluten in my diet, if I take out gluten of my diet, I feel a lot better and my performance are a lot higher too. And I would assume is maybe someone like yourself at that peak athletic performance, there's probably a good probability your ancestors were not touching anything GMO and over the past 100 years I mean everything is chemically changed so that's I, I always assume that's probably a leading cause to the issue so yeah you could be uh, gluten allergic to gluten but maybe because of your lifetime you've had to deal with you know it's not the field it's not directly from the source and because maybe your your ancestors were so organic that now you're so sensitive right right and then and then it just fucks up your whole system yeah that's yeah. that's why like all those hype uh, with diets, you know, like uh, paleo, keto, uh, and, and all those things need to be tested. It's great for some people, and it's really totally against some um, human uh, yeah, it's physiology. The best example is, uh, can we use the word Eskimos? I don't know anymore. I get the, 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 like people that are from Canada, but from the Arctic, right? Mm. Well, their diet, they don't even have vegetables up there. Their diet was seal fat, whale fat. That's, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. So if you were to introduce new things in their diet, like pastas, you know, uh, maybe these uh, different types of meat, vegetables, fruits, mm -hmm. they might not even work for them. They might oh. get sick. Yeah. Okay, on that note, because otherwise we're going to keep running into this. I'm going to shoot this back to Florian. This is, which camera? That one died? Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, I'm going to shoot it. This is your camera right here. Just look directly into that, that camera and let everyone know where they can find you. And again, a recap of what you guys are doing for the event uh, on the 19th. Right. So you can find me in Phuket. Um, I teach freediving pretty much six, seven months 
per year during the, the diving season, which is 1st November to 1st May. Um, and uh, the event that we're running in November starts on the 19th. Anyone is welcome. We'll teach you how to free dive or we'll help you to improve your free diving skills if you already have some. And uh, Tony will be here to take awesome photos and videos. Awesome. Um, there, he's talking about Tony Michelayev, Tones of Blue. I'll leave, maybe at the end of this episode, I'll leave Tony's episode up there. Well, I will. So you can go check that out. Um, we're going to wrap this up again. Big thanks to Sean Stenning and Five Star Marine. Go rent some boats so they keep giving us money so we can go buy more products and sell them to you. And that's, yeah, that's just how it is. Um, as they give us money, we don't have to focus too much on this podcast. Give us money as well if you want. um oh yeah don't forget to like subscribe let us know in the comments what was your deepest free dive and uh i don't know and your longest breast hole yeah this is all bullshit uh youtube stuff just leave some goddamn comments so we can get going in the algorithm (laughs) right write a goddamn question mark if you want and we're out (laughs) 